ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our daily roundup from Rebel News. Of course, I'm Sid Vizard with Rebel News. Adam Sos joining me, both Albertans uh, on the team. And today we're looking at the opposition conservatives. There's a lot to go around in the news today, but also I want to remind you that if we're going to be watching these live streams and promoting them, the best way for you to support us is to do that through Rumble. And Adam, maybe you want to join me now and tell me a little bit about Rumble and how's your day going? Oh, it's going great. Yeah, you know, Rumble is awesome. It's incredible. Uh, on election night, this is no longer one of our election issues, but I think over 200, I think it's closing on 210,000 people watched our live stream on Rumble. Um, I believe the CEO of Rumble was even on board there. Um, he, he chipped in with a Rumble rant. Um, it is a platform that is all about free speech. So they're not pushing one agenda. They're just saying, listen, it's what YouTube used to be. It's a platform for you to share your ideas, not fear censorship. Obviously, they've got some limits on that, but uh, they, they're not trying to push ideologies. They're trying to create an open and honest platform where people can create. So if you're joining us on YouTube, that's completely fine. But uh, be one of the 200,000 or so who swapped over are supporting a free speech outlet like Rumble. It's a, it's a wonderful platform. It works really good. Um, I even find if you're trying to look back on one of our old videos, if you try and search it, even if I'm writing or linking back to an old story, I can't find it on YouTube. The, the cert, it, it's definitely being sort of suppressed or uh, shadow banned, whatever you want to call it. Rumble, you can always find it right away. So if there's a topic you're interested in, really strong search engine. So yeah, consider swapping over to Rumble. And I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right myself. Thank you very much. Well, and for today's news, uh, we're going to be looking at the opposition conservatives going on the attack recently. Uh, and there's also uh, a lot of stuff going on in relation to carbon investments, energy investments. Uh, uh, there was some talk earlier about some of the solar energy stuff. We're going to get to all of that today. Uh, Adam, is there anything in specific you wanted to highlight before we get into the stories? Yeah, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we can go into some of these stories. I, I did want to mention, though, on this Calgary front for folks who are in the area, there's a really great event coming up, and it's from our friends over at Canadians for Truth. Sarah Palin will actually be in town. So that's pretty cool. It's going to be at the Great Eagle Event Center for folks who haven't been out to one of these fire and ice shows. Um, it's uh, Theo Fleury, so uh, number 14 for the Flames, Olympian, uh, Stanley Cup champion, a real icon, somebody I grew up sort of absolutely loving, and Jamie Saleh. So they'll, they do this sort of, it's like almost like a talk show. They have this incredible conversation. They've had Tamara Leach, they've had some other guests, and it's really, they have conversations that you just would not see at a conventional event. Um, so it's great. It's 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 a good laugh. It's good for everybody, sort of all ages. An incredible event. Uh, given that this one's at a casino, it may not be all ages. We'll double check, though. But um, tickets available now, canadiansfortruth.ca. That should be a great event. And if you do decide to show up, well, you're also going to get to meet a bunch of us because I'm going to be there covering this event. Um, and then you're also going to have... Uh, some of our other rebels on location checking it out because it's just a really great event. Well, and I saw you at the last one uh, with those two individuals and Tamara Leach. That was great reporting, yeah. and it, it looks like a lot of fun to be at those events. So I do highly yeah. recommend it. Uh, and it's, Adam, it's a bit so of a flashback to the like if if you were at all remotely around any of the Freedom Convoy stuff or in Coots, Milk River, Ottawa, whatever, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces. It's uh, it's a bit of a flashback, so it's something else. Well, our first story of the day, an opinion story, uh, we can pull that up now, about the Alberta oil sands. And they won a large deal, a $4.4 billion endorsement uh, from Texas energy giant Con uh, Phillips. Adam, what do you make of this story? It must be good news. Yeah, well, you know, like, obviously, this was in the works prior to Danielle Smith being elected. This would have been in the works 
But I don't think the timing is a coincidence that it just happens to drop uh, just after the election. So they were working on this. My suspicion is they probably would have had a way out if the NDP was elected. But it's interesting because ConocoPhillips left when the NDP was last elected. And now we've got this sort of firm uh, re-election mandate for the UCP party. Um, and like Daniel Smith said, Alberta is open for business. So this is all, all the sort of rhetoric from the NDP and from pundits and even from some of the old guard conservatives who were criticizing Daniel Smith about how, oh, she's going to scare away business. Well, this is just the first of two massive deals uh, a couple days. She hasn't even formed her cabinet yet, but it's incredible the extent to which just a vote of confidence, knowing that the government is not hostile to business. Um, it's incredible to see how quickly that can confirm and finalize some of these deals. What do you make of it? Well, to say the least, and I certainly think that there's going to be a lot more stories that are coming out like this, and it might not be uh, in the moment this story will come out, and it doesn't directly imply, you know, the fact that the UCP won and that stabilized uh, uh, the economic situation these people, the investors, would be walking into for the next four years. Um, I, I think that's a very important thing to note, but it's it's not going to be highlighted. Uh, and we see, again, there's that deal uh, for the oil sands. There's also another deal coming in, uh, which is actually our next headline. Uh, Greek company to spearhead $1.7 billion solar energy product in Alberta. Uh, this is a CBC story. Now, Adam, uh, I, I have conflicting feelings about this one. In, <laughs> in one hand, you know, there's yeah. this and the other investment, you know, 4.4 plus 1.78 billion. You know, that sounds pretty good for the province. But at the same yeah. time, how how secure is this kind of investment, do you think? Uh, an investment into solar energy? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it, solar is getting to it, it's it's not there yet, but it's getting there. And eventually we probably like eventually it's getting to the point where maybe if the government isn't trying to tax you for the power you pull off, throwing a solar panel on your roof might be OK. Um, it, it's kind of like a Tesla where it's like on the brink of affordable and starting to kind of make sense, but not quite. But it, it's getting there. Um, but I think that this is yet another sort of uh, testimony to Danielle Smith's open to business mentality where she talked about, and I know for lots of people it was tough because I don't agree with her sort of feeding into the net zero rhetoric. Um, but when she does talk about net zero, she talks about selling it. So she's talking about selling carbon offsets, selling carbon removal, um, bringing in renewable companies that count as a net. So she's never going to do this, I hope anyways, and based on what she said, she's not going to do this like the Trudeau liberals do, where they punish people, they punish businesses, they tax you. What they're going to do is, yeah, sure, bring in investments, let's let's negate some of that carbon impact, which frankly, I don't believe in or care, the, the, the net zero rhetoric. But regardless, if you can make money off of it, if someone wants to buy it, and you are producing energy, uh, there's not much harm in it, I I, I think. And listen, if, if Alberta were magically completely renewable in 50 years, and then we could sell our ethical oil overseas to places with human rights violations that have children working in mines, that you know what I mean? It's, it's never it should never be about negating our natural resources. But I I get people's apprehension, like solar panels. Yuck, that's not what we're all about. But listen, don't say no to 1.7 billion. Don't say no to 4.4 billion. And I think this goes a long way to negating critics of Danielle Smith, who might say, oh, well, all she cares about is oil. She's going to destroy the environment. It's like, well, I didn't see massive solar investments of $1.7 billion uh, prior to Danielle Smith, really. And clearly, there's some solar farms, but generally, they're government funded. This is a private company coming in and making a massive investment in solar farms. So uh, whether if even if you're an environmentalist on that front, uh, 
obviously most of these people aren't impartial and they can't objectively be like, oh, Daniel Smith did a good thing. That's not on the on the radar for them. But it, it scores some points and at least subconsciously, these people have to start think, thinking like, oh, well, I, I guess this is a good thing. Well, we're going to have to have a, a more in-depth conversation about renewable at a later date and the definition of that word. But uh, it, yeah. in a sense, it is good to have a diverse set of assets. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree to some of your points there. Uh, and it, it is interesting, though, to see, especially with the, the changes that are happening in the energy industry right now, Alberta mm -hmm. is probably going to be a focal point regardless of what we're investing in simply because of the resources we have. Um, so it is, I think, always good to capitalize on that. Then the one concern I guess I would propose is with the expansion of solar and uh, wind kind uh, energy farms, uh, how much would that affect our, our urban and rural uh, 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 Albertans? That's that's the one question I would have uh, yeah. to see moving forward. What do you think? Well, it, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly agree. Back to another point, and then I'll, I'll sort of carry on. I, the NDP spent so much time talking about like diversifying, but what they meant was getting rid of oil and just doing these other things. So I think yeah. opening the opportunity to everything, well, that that's great. But listen, the, the really the only sort of environmental options, it's nuclear. Like the amount of birds that die when you have wind turbines is astronomical. It makes Tilling's ponds look like like uh, like a bird swimming pond. They're, like it's. Uh, you can just walk by the the mills and there's 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 birds apparently it can also mess with migratory patterns. Um, there's reports of people having migraines. And I mean, I don't I don't know if these are bona fide, but I've, I've heard repeated uh, reports that uh, migraines, increased uh, cancer risks, things like that associated with these turbines. Um, when you look at a solar farm, you're also talking about completely clear cutting an area uh, and, and destroying that entire environment. So how environmental is that really? Listen, energy can't magically manifest. Our oil is very ethical. Um, if you're going to dam an area off to make a hydro dam, people will be upset about that. Um, because of Chernobyl and some of the other uh, uh, nuclear accidents, people are apprehensive about going nuclear. That's probably, especially with Canada, we have so much space, one of the more feasible things. But it seems like no matter what the option is, they don't want to go there. Um, and they ultimately just settle on what the politicians' friends have businesses in, which seems to be solar and wind. So, uh, But yeah, I... I Take the investment. This is going to be happening one way or another, and I think if it's not happening in Alberta, it'll happen somewhere else. Um, and I don't, I don't view it as an innate evil, but it's, it's not the solar panels aren't this perfect solution that uh, environmentalists paint them out to be. So yeah, good. Thanks for touching on that. No, well, and bringing me to my next story. Before I touch on it, I just want to say, as long as we don't start investing in tidal energy, uh, like they have in the uh, the East Coast. But uh, our next story, uh, a little closer to home, of course, uh, personally as well, a lot of people have been affected by the wildfires. Uh, and we have a story, looting will be punished, warns First Nation chief after wildfire evacuation in Alberta Hamlet. Uh, Adam, I mean, you, you've probably seen a lot more of this than I have, obviously. I'm more recent to Alberta. What, what do you make of the situation? Well, you know, I, I actually love these the, the, the image people get out there of First Nations communities, I think they're actually far more conservative than folks would would think. Um, we've obviously had the opportunity to go out and, and 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 we did the repair of the church job where we replaced the roof and did some work on a church to help that community. But it's incredible. I, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, when the city was canceling fireworks, which has been reverted, thanks, Dan McLean. Um, but when the city was planning to do that, I called a bunch of the First Nations communities uh, around 
uh, Calgary, and they were all having Canada Day fireworks shows. Um, now, this it's incredible to see when you go down. I've had the opportunity through reporting and uh, through some of this work we've done to spend a lot of time on some of the reservations around uh, Calgary. And the, some of the signs they have about like respecting your elders and like saying no to drug culture, which is going to transition into something uh, we're going to talk about later. But uh, they're they're sort of espousing lots of values that that conservatives probably would within society. Now, is it always enacted perfectly? No, but it, it's really good to see uh, th this sort of firm uh, stance against and protecting of the community. When, when we were doing the work on the church, I remember sometimes I'd go to sort of check on something, um, make sure everything was un underway or like a roof uh, supplies had delivered when they were, when they were fixing that roof. And it was incredible how fast like the, the Tsutina police would come because everyone was burning churches across the country and there's a white guy hanging around the church. So the police would be there so quickly to protect and preserve their community. And I think this chief coming out saying, basically you're going to be banished if you loot on our property while we're escaping these fires. That's the lowest of the low. People are escaping their homes, often forced to leave animals behind, suffering. Um, it, it, it harkens back to the high river gun grabs during the floods, but to victimize people when they're in the worst possible situation. I love seeing a chief coming out and saying, you know what, you're out of here. We're, we're not gonna tolerate this in the slightest, protecting their communities, uh, a strong sense of pride. Well, and speaking of uh, communities that often you hear about, there's. Uh, the next story that we have about the uh, the two SLGBTQ plus strong community. sense of pride for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's getting longer by the day, and this is uh, by Janice Irwin. It's actually a video. I believe we can share that now. Uh, and it, and I believe the quote is for many in Alberta's two <laughs> community. I'm, I'm not going to say it again. It doesn't feel like a very happy Pride Month. You're hurting. You're worried. But please know this: you're not alone. You matter. We see you. We love you. And we're here for you and we don't ever stop fighting for you. Let's play that video. Hi friends, happy Pride Month. And it is absolutely an honor to be here on Treaty 6 territory with one of our newest elected MLGs, future MLA for Edmonton West Henday, Brooks Arcan Paul. Hello friends in the 2SLGBTQ plus community. Uh, today we mark the kickoff of Pride Month and I'm so fortunate to be joining uh, our wonderful MLG. I'm, I'm your MLG elect and we're really looking forward to making sure that representation happens in the legislature. We will hold the government to account and we will remember that Pride has always been a protest. Every single community is going to be represented by our team and we're going to make sure that we do the best for every single Albertan. Thank you so much to everyone for placing your trust in our team, for continuing to fight for every single Albertan, but especially the 2SLGBTQ plus community. Hi, hi, Nanaskamo. And we know that so many of you are hurting, so many of you reached out to us, and we just need you to know we're here for you, we see you, you matter, and we love you. And so from Rachel, from Brooks, from our entire Alberta NDP team, happy Pride Month. Yeah. Adam, you know, what do you I, got? I was hoping, like I get during a campaign, even you you saw during the leadership race, you saw Schultz and Gene and Sonny and Smith like flinging mud at each other. And then like Daniel wins and everyone gets on with their lives and they then they, they get back to business. I was hoping, I'm, I'm the optimist, I know, and I, I should stop being so optimistic. But I was hoping once the election was over, sure the election's over, but let's move on. 
uh, and let's get going. It's it's not. They're still, we saw uh, GOT Gone Deck, and I think we've got an article about that as well. We can pull it up, but not necessary. Um, GOT Gone Deck saying, oh, congratulations, but like I've got some concerns about hate. Like Danielle Smith is a progressive politician. She like I don't I'm very socially conservative, so I don't agree with her on a lot of that. Uh, the reason that I'm not entirely upset with her is because she's libertarian. So she wants people to be able to do what they want. So if you're gay, you can go be gay. If you're ultra conservative, you can go be ultra conservative. She wants people to be left alone. Government shouldn't be mandating every aspect of your life like this. Any suggestion, though, that that Danielle Smith is she, she's very on board with all this stuff. I remember at an Alberta Prosperity Project event, um, Someone asked her about men, like trans women, men, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, competing in women's sports. Um, and she was like not willing to say that she's against it, which to most people is a, is a no in conservative movements. So she can be about as big a quote unquote ally as you can imagine. And they'll still just ramp up this rhetoric about how she is is a villain. Uh, it's it's wild to see this because she is not at all. She wants to bring business in. If it's green business, that's fine. If it's oil business, that's fine. She wants to get people jobs. And she is an ally to the pride movement in general. Now, maybe not the the extreme outliers and the political activism and everything. But uh, personally, I know she's very libertarian and very uh, in favor of all that. So uh, the constant attacks are, are ridiculous. And the other thing, too, I mean, the whole ML gay thing, whatever, it's fine. Janice, I disagree with her probably about on everything. She is a very nice human being, though. So I have no personal issues with her. But it's just so bizarre to have like, I'm not like I'm a journal straight. I'm just a journalist. ML gay is gender inclusive. It's it's sexuality inclusive. Um, it, it's like this RuPaul sort of punny business. It's I think it's just silly. I think it's kind of embarrassing. I really don't care though. Like her people seem to like it, so good for them. But I don't know. What do you think of this whole ML gay thing? Well, I think it has roots in the hijacking of uh, homosexuals and lesbians and uh, people who are actually being punished in a time for simply who they were. Now it's been turned into this, you must be proud of everything. And there's all these horrible stories about children that are going into facilities and getting, you know, basically mutilating themselves or having adults convince them that they need to be mutilated in order to live a normal life. I mean, yeah, sure, there's, you know, gay people, lesbians, you know, bisexuals, there's those sort of people. But at the same time, that doesn't, uh, that's not something that you can uh, used as a veil for the mutilation of children. And and a lot of people within those communities are saying, look, we're not here for the maps, you know, minor attracted person stuff and things like that. It's, there, there's a hard line that's being formed between the stuff that's, you know, you could say a little too far uh, and the stuff that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, would have nobody would have considered or looked at or had any problem with. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm sure probably lots of folks out there. I don't know why I'm doing a plug, but I am. Uh, the film Nefarious is incredibly interesting. I saw it the other night. Um, and it's interesting how directly it tackles this. And one of the lines that you almost paraphrased there is like this stuff like 10 years, lots of this stuff. And they're referring to like euthanasia and a number of other things. But lots of this stuff would have landed you in jail 10 years ago. Now you're a bigot if you express any concern whatsoever on those fronts. Um, it is also bizarre, I find... <laughs> To, to have so much of your identity be exclusively tied up in your sexuality. I just, I like, I, I'm a straight person, but I don't think I've ever mentioned that on stream, nor do I have straight tagged next to my name on Twitter. It, the, the entire, the fact that they've like 
sexuality has become an entire identity um, rather than you're a person who happens to have a sexuality. Um, it, it, it's it's very like almost like childish and delayed adolescence where when you're a kid, you like sort of identify with something and, and you go all out and that's your whole identity, whether it be like sports or something else. But it, it's bizarre to see some people where it's like their sexuality is the entire crux of that. I, I, I don't know. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I entirely agree. Um, like I, I identify as a journalist, you know, that's because that's my job. That's what I like to do. That's what I want to put my focus on. I don't identify as a, you know, a pansexual furry. That's not in, in the resume because that's not going to get me anywhere in life. And that's not something I want to be either. You know, I guess there's, you know, as we know, there are people out there who would choose that path, but it, it's, it's for, for society to have a, a mass of people, a generation of people believe that they should be indoctrinating themselves into these, you know, sexual livelihoods. It's, I think, inhumane at the end of the day. Uh, but with that said, perhaps we should jump to an ad break. Yeah, let's go. Um, we've got an ad coming up now, I believe, about this incredible student journalism conference. Uh, some of our incredible young talent has actually come from this. So if you know someone who's a young, aspiring journalist, um, this not only is an opportunity to learn a lot, but it, it often can transition into either an inter internship or, or being part of our team in the long term. Uh, I know everybody that I've heard from that goes to this event as an absolutely incredible time. Uh, and you get to like meet with some of our top talent. I think Sheila's going, uh, Avi's going to be there, Dave's going. Like we, it's a lot of Andrew Lawton is going. So it's, it's not just Rebel, it's a whole team. But I mean, if you're at all interested in this, it, it's a no brainer to go out to this. So we can we can roll that ad now. All yeah, right, so you can, see, you can see the list of names there. It's incredible. Um, well, often lots of people who are winning are like most popular journalists. Derek Philbrandt, uh, Andrew Lawn, massive team going to be there. So I don't think you can get to better experience. And these uh, almost all these people have experienced like sort of the extreme on the ground, whether it be uh, at the at the trucker convoy or in uh, or overseas attending protests, whatever it may be. Uh, pretty incredible stuff. So if you know someone starting to think about a career, thinking about maybe doing journalism. Well, this is definitely the opportunity, the place to uh, learn something, get some hands-on experience, and maybe eventually uh, work with us one of these days. And next, I should say, we're jumping into a, a bit of a, a conservative lineup. Uh, Pierre Polyev, uh, Pierre, uh, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I, I have yet to get it, you know, just right, Pierre Polyev. Uh, but our first story from BC. Now, recently, you've probably heard uh, about the guy who was trying to sell uh, meth, heroin, <laughs> cocaine on the streets. He had a, like a little booth and they shut him down. Yeah. The cops shut him down. Uh, yeah. But now we have a, a, this one from Pierre. In 2012, BC overdose deaths were 270, uh, what is it? Uh, 2022 and uh, yeah, pardon me. 2012 was 270 deaths and 2022 yeah. was 2,272. 
so Unreal. you could say that's a bit of a spike, Adam. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it's and the, these people who advocate for this harm reduction nonsense, it doesn't work. Um, I've had the opportunity, the Alberta model is tackling this in the exact opposite direction. Mike Ellis, um, uh, Nicholas Milliken, uh, Daniel Smith gave that incredible event. I urge people, if they haven't seen that report, go check it out. Um, but they, they, they are damning people to what Mike Ellis referred to as palliative addiction. Like they're giving 12 years old, 12 year old kids drugs. And what they'll do is they'll say, oh, well, we've seen a reduction in like deaths and 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 uh, whether, whether it be like uh, ha- ha- being spread or overdoses or whatever, they've seen a reduction in the percentage of deaths. But what happens is you have way more people doing drugs. And when you look at these facts over the course of 10 years, uh, BC brought in this sort of harm reduction, safe drug site access stuff. We're, we're talking about going from 270 to 2,272 deaths in 10 years. I absolutely think that this was one of the key issues for many people during the election. And I think it is absolutely monstrous. No one would, to someone they love, damn them to a life of perpetual drug use and suffering. And liberals hate doing the hard thing, but sometimes you have to take people, remove them from an environment, even if at the time, and we talked to lots of people in that video where at the time they don't want it. But afterwards, they're just overwhelmed with emotion, bawling, because their lives were saved by initiatives that remove people from those environments. Um, this is this is absolutely heartbreaking to see that many deaths, that things have gotten that much worse. And frankly, these progressive lovey-dovey people who pretend that they care about everything and they'll fly their rainbow flags and everything is wonderful. That's all superficial. It's a veneer, because ultimately what happens is businesses free, flee the provinces, and, and people are, are left in despair and they're struggling and then they give them free drugs. This is something out of a dystopian novel. It's almost like a Jonathan Swift level modest proposal where we're like, we'll just give opiates to the masses and, and reduce them to nothing. It is devastating. It's not in line with the dignity of human persons, whatever your background may be. Um, and we need to stop this maddening experiment. I, for one, I'm so happy to see Pierre Polyeva as well as some other provinces nominally uh, Daniel Smith and the, the conservatives here in Alberta tackling this issue so head on. This, is, this isn't an election issue. This is a basic human decency issue. And all the talking points aside and all this talk of, oh, fear of hate. Well, I can tell you that uh, that giving people free drugs has nothing to do with love. But what they're trying to do now, these opportunities to save people's lives is incredible. I, I talked to Chief Roy Whitney uh, at that event, and he said that he lost his son, um, I believe, to suicide. But it was because of like a long, treacherous path of drugs and addiction and despair. And he, among many other people, have shared that if they had the opportunity to get an injunction and to stop this, rather than providing free drugs to kids, he could have saved his son's life. And, and so many people we talked to there, whether they were saved or it was too late and someone in their family lost their lives, the people who experience this firsthand can tell you that we need to move towards rehabilitation, not safe supply. Well, and it's this is expanding. It's becoming an, a, a larger issue in Canada by the day. Uh, even in, well, I know there was the, the situation where there were like crack pipes and stuff that were handed out at a school in BC. Uh, and as well, yeah, in Toronto too. Uh, Toronto now handing out branded crack and meth pipe kits with city's logo. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how far you can get. And it's, it's, it is a shame in a sense because, well, certainly in more than one sense, um, but they're they're solving. Uh, the government is attempting to 
make the problem more easy to, to deal with for these people that are in these situations. They're not looking to solve the problem of people getting into these situations, I don't think. Uh, and yeah. they, they just, at the end of the day, they're facilitating drug addiction. Um, yeah. uh, in a sense, drug addicts, they're facilitating these behaviors uh, under that same banner as we heard before. You know, oh, it's okay. You know, we're all different. We all need acceptance. Well, is that really the right road to take? Now, I don't know if I would advocate for the government to, you know, physically take anybody and put them into certain situations uh, whatsoever. However, uh, I do think that perhaps they could play a role in advocating and promoting uh, friends and family of these individuals to mm. uh, show their support and their advocacy uh, to help yeah. get their friends and families out of these tough situations. Um, well, but it's it's a shame. It's happening across the country. And so how this would work, there already are interventions like this, say, for a mental health crisis. So you'd actually, it would be like a family member or a police officer or someone who's viewing someone who's basically imminently going to die. And then they would appeal through a quick, it's like a hastened judicial process in order to be able to intercede and help. So it's not just sort of random uh, rounding people up and sticking them in camps to like, the, the, the government would do that with the unvaccinated. Uh, but uh, the, it's, it's, it's an intention to get help uh, for these people uh, from their sort of support groups, their community groups. And the thing that goes hand in hand with this is is the sort of rampant crime. We've seen, I forget the statistics exactly, but um, I think it was like something like someone who gets arrested for a violent, violent crime has an average of like 11 prior arrests for violent crimes. So what you have is is, is people, they're, they're going to jail, they're getting released with like 50 bucks cash bail or no cash bail. And then they're going to the one of these free drug sites getting drugs, um, freaking out on drugs and going and committing a violent crime. And it just perpetually cycles. Um, police who see these people over and over, especially if they're minors and they're they're throwing their lives away, for them to be able to intercede and provide some help and support, the people that I talked to firsthand who have turned their lives around, some of them are now helping with this recovery process. Well, they testify that at the time they were pushing back, but after the fact, they were so grateful for what happened. Um, another thing I wanted to touch on, and this does, uh, this is again another Pierre uh, Pierre Polievre um, uh, comment, uh, a 14-year-old is dead because Trudeau floods streets with dillies, a drug stronger than heroin. Trudeau gives dillies to addicts who sell them to children for a dollar. Uh, Alan, this madness, invest in treatment and bring loved ones home drug-free. Now, that that's wild. And I, I couldn't even imagine that. But I know Mike Ellis, who was a beat cop, like he was a, he was a police officer as well. Um, he saw firsthand that they could get their, their hands on supplies. And they could actually sell, I'm paraphrasing here, but they could sell the safe drugs to kids because they were quote unquote safer. So they'd actually be selling the safe drugs into school for more and then buying cheap, bad drugs themselves anyways. Um, so so you, all you see is a net increase in the amount of drugs that are out there. It is absolute madness. And it, it's it's human lives. That's the cost. This isn't like... Uh, don't get me wrong, we talk about economics, you're talking about people's livelihoods and everything. But this, every day we continue down this madness, you're talking about more and more deaths. And we're talking about increasing from the hundreds to the thousands. Imagine if this was implemented right across the board. Just think, they're handing out Toronto, City of Toronto, was it, branded crack pipes? How insane is that? No, it, it it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of get a, get to grasp with in a sense, because it's like, what what is happening here? Why would we hand them crack pipes? I mean, let alone the fact that, I mean, between crack and cocaine, I mean, what, crack, that's what you're going to, as a city staple, you're going to go with the lower tier option in a sense. 
Um, but you, really, at the end of the day, what are they doing to go after the dealers? What are they doing to go after uh, the people who are creating drugs like, like well, meth, like fentanyl? Um, and, and are they doing anything? Is Trudeau doing anything to stop this from either coming into the country or from this being produced in the country? I would love to see so often, like I remember, I think it was uh, one of the Fords, uh, they owned, uh, like the Ford family anyways, owned like the sticker right. company. Yeah, it's, it's a Toronto making, staple at this point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. They were making the stickers for all the COVID warning stuff for all the trains. So they gave themselves a contract. I would love to see who's making all these crack pipes and how lucrative the contract is. Because it always seems, and I mean, I'm just I'm just speculating now, but it always seems like some friend of, of a politician or someone connected uh, through their little cottage industry meetings um, suddenly is like, yeah, I could, I, could, I could do a million crack pipes for you. <laughs> Let's make a deal. And then they make this sort of behind closed doors deals. But like... Uh, just a little bit more broadly speaking, and then we'll jump to an ad break here, though. And I asked Dan McLean this the other day on, st on stream as well, but why do you think it is that this sort of progressive, prevailing, very often sort of WEF-oriented mindset just, like, hits cities? Like, it's it's like, oh, we're going to ban fireworks. We're going to have crack pipes. We're going to do pride side. It, they all do the same thing. Is it monkey see, monkey do? Is a little bit, bit, bit more insidious than that. Um, you can literally look at if Toronto does something, Calgary and Vancouver will follow, Edmonton will follow. There just seems to be this, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Are they having secret meetings and, and deciding these absurd things they're going to do? Um. It's, it's hard to say. I think perhaps, you know, it's a lot easier to lose sight of God when you're in a city because you're always surrounded by distractions. Um, mm. And you consider contrast that, to, you know, let's say someone who's living on a farm. Well, you have your daily routine, you eat the sun, you know, you see it go across the sky. You know, if you live in a city, you're probably not going to observe that sort of thing as well. And that goes for everything in their surroundings is they're more in tune with the world they actually live in instead of perhaps somebody in a city who might be distracted every day by advertisements on the bus or, or people honking in traffic. Every single second, there's something to distract. Uh, but on the, the previous note, we were talking about some of the stuff that was being handed out in Toronto. I just want to say rest in peace to the greatest mayor we ever had in Toronto. Uh, and with mm -hmm. that, perhaps we should go to an ad break. Yeah, let's do that. The media said that Canadian truckers were Russian agents controlled by Vladimir Putin. Justin Trudeau called them extremists. The small fringe minority. We are here out of love for our families, our communities. And the government put the country under martial law to stop them. But what's the real story? If you can't see the future in clear outline right now, you're not paying attention. But the truckers in Canada can't. And I want you to know that I'm not afraid. For the first time, the woman at the heart of the trucker convoy speaks out. Hold the line. Tamara Leach, passionate organizer, loving mother and grandmother, proud Chi and proud Albertan, and defiant political prisoner jailed for daring to criticize the government. Tamara Leach, her new book, Hold the Line, my story from the heart of the Freedom Convoy is the inside scoop of what really happened. You've heard from the media and the convoy's critics. Now hear the truth from the woman who inspired the world and made Justin Trudeau blink. Visit theconvoybook.com to order your copy now.
definitely recommend getting that book. Adam, have you had a chance to read it yet? I ordered it. I, it's on the way. It's uh, but with the election, it was just like chaos. But it's on the way. I'm excited. I meant to order it like right away as soon as it came out, and then Alberta election stuff just hit. It's crazy, but it's in the mail now. Um, yeah, incredible. And I did get the chance to go to the uh, as I mentioned, Canadians for Truth. Uh, event where Tamara Leach was there when she was sort of talking about it originally so I got to take a little bit of a peek through it but I'm looking forward to reading it for sure um yeah so yeah it, it's incredible you know it, the thing about her is is she didn't she's not an activist she didn't want to do this it's incredible if, if you have maybe if you're not too sure about Tamara Leach if you don't know her story um I'm sure probably if you're watching you've got a pretty good idea but just to learn how she she's so humble and modest and sweet. And whenever she sees somebody, she her, her eyes well up with tears because she's just such a loving person. Um, she was pushed into this role um, as sort of a hero of the Freedom Convoy. It's not one that she rushed into, um, but it, that's that's what heroes are, really. Someone who takes up the mantle at those difficult times, even a mantle you don't necessarily want uh, in order to stand up for something. So, yeah, incredible. Pick up that book. It, you know what? It, it was a bestseller. It probably still is. Just to have that at the top of those lists, it sends a message um, about where Canadians stand on these issues. So, Well, and it's better to have it and not want to read it than not being able to have it and want to read it. Because, as you know, censorship of all kinds is coming for us. And in our next story, uh, uh, Pablo Rodriguez um, uh, brings us a story about the fact that Facebook is still refusing to work with Canadians. Uh, to show how deeply irresponsible and out of touch they are. Uh, once again, this is a disappointing move from big tech, and Canadians will not be intimidated by these tactics. Adam, what tactics is he talking about here? Yeah, uh, it's so interesting. I mean, it, <clears throat> I'm I'm sort of of two minds on this because I I I want uh, I basically want companies to be free. I don't want them to be subject to the CRTC because. Um, it, it can cause significant problems. Um, you you look at uh, Netflix, Paramount, all, all these other providers, and this isn't Facebook specific now, uh, but just generally speaking, um, and you get an entirely different sort of perspective. Um, you get an entirely different perspective than what the rest of the world is seeing. So critical content information, you're getting a limited version of that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very much of two minds. Um, but the, the, the federal government and the CRTC, so much of what they're doing, um, it, it suppresses and controls and Justin Trudeau and the liberals, um, they, they want to be able to control what news gets to the top, big tech, YouTube, other companies, Facebook, they're doing this already controlling, stifling, limiting, uh, what we're seeing, but I feel like it's just going to get worse. I don't know what, and you can you can talk about Facebook specifically, but I think you can also talk about this in terms of all big tech. Well, and I, but just before I say something, I want to add that uh, in that message we put on screen earlier, it says, "I'm told Facebook is announcing tomorrow it will block all news for five percent of Canada starting Monday." When Facebook ran this play in Australia, uh, it was global intimidation playbook. So the, just that. And then also, the, yeah, there's Facebook and there's other uh, uh, websites and stuff like that, such as Twitter. Um, obviously, Elon Musk recently purchased Twitter uh, and has taken a, a stance advocating towards freedoms and such. And uh, we saw uh, yesterday the Daily Wire tried to publish the What is a Woman documentary uh, produced by them and Matt Walsh uh, in full on Twitter. And they had this this weird uh 
banner on that tweet, uh, basically saying uh, this reach was limited. Uh, and I actually saw that tweet yesterday. You couldn't retweet it. You couldn't comment. You couldn't like. Um, and it said point blank that we are censoring this content. You know, you still yeah. have the right to say it, but we have the right to tell you how or not to tell you, but we have a right to show it to however many people we deem to show it to. Um, it, and it's it's just more of the, the language is evolving in the debate for freedom, but the stances are the same. They're still restricting freedom in that sense. Elon Musk uh, was able to, I guess, modify that uh, decision by today. So it is, I believe the, the label has now been removed. But regardless, these hurdles are, are still existing within these companies and he might be running it. Uh, but clearly, it's not just him alone that's going to be operating and managing Twitter. It's the team. And yeah. is his team sound? Well, uh, what is his uh, the his replacement is a, a WEF, a former WEF member, uh, or in, employed in the WEF. So it's uh, I don't know what to make of it. You know, I guess time will tell. You know, Elon does seem to be saying the right things at the moment. So yeah. we'll uh, we'll see. Adam, do you hold, do you hold much stock in Elon Musk? You know, like he retweeted it and said you have to watch this, and he was like, take note of that. So um, he definitely is a voice for rejecting the overt control and censorship and the government mandated uh, orientation. He's a bit of a maverick. So I think the fact that he's willing to say no or take a stand, um, I get it. But you look at all these organizations, whether it be Target, whether it be Bud Light, whether it be Facebook, right across the board, um, the massive investment firms uh, that that are in this are all on board with this. They're willing to lose money to push these narratives. And at a certain point, I... I think the dollars speak louder than the principles for some of these people. Um, Elon Musk seems to be right on that threshold. So it's almost like good Elon, bad Elon. Um, but the fact that he was willing to retweet that and and the the person who was basically blocking that stuff was shown the door, um, that's promising. Listen, we had, I think, 90,000 viewers on our stream on uh, YouTube and 210,000 on Rumble. Um, people need to put their money where their mouth is. They need to put their actions towards that. And if there's an outlet that is is more free, is more open, we'll support those things. Like no one says Twitter gets a monopoly on this. Um, no one says Facebook gets a monopoly on this. And if there is another outlet or another social media app that is, is not willing to play these games, is willing to be free, um, well, then so be it. Now, once the government starts interjecting and putting in laws, uh, that makes that very difficult. But I'm, I'm sure that uh, the legal teams at some of these major corporations can find a way to say, oh, no, they're just accessing our American site. It's not. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's so clearly and obviously oriented towards controlling ideologies like they, this is not about you. There's horrific content on Twitter that doesn't get censored. Sometimes there'll be overt uh, adult content when you're searching something utterly innocuous. It'll just pop up. That's not censored. I know before um, uh, uh, Elon Musk took over, there was a massive problem with child abuse material um, that they could rather easily remove, but they had opted not to. That's largely been addressed by now, um, but or at least to some extent, they, they've tackled that problem. Uh, but so much of this is, is down to controlling alternative perspectives, um, and it is very dystopian. It's like some 1984, like we're going to censor opinions that aren't the approved opinions. We're going to alienate, marginalize, and make it impossible to find sources. Um, but yeah, we need outlets that are outlets, whether it be social media, whether it be apps, that just reject that narrative 
and then we need people to support those. It's very easy to turn on your TV election night and watch the CBC stream. Um, it might be one more step to go to Rumble and hit cast towards your TV, but every one of those actions is a vote, uh, so to speak. So if a platform is not willing to support free speech, don't support them. Well, and on that note, we actually, I believe, have two videos that we can show now uh, on this very topic. And censorship of all kinds, whether it be through social media uh, uh, powerhouses, I guess you call them, uh, or government. I mean, we've seen Justin Trudeau and some of the bills he's passed recently. I mean, not only are they actively trying to silence people, they're actively trying to prevent uh, journalistic entities such as ourselves uh, from publishing content and putting things out there that matter, things that they don't want people to know. And that's the thing is oftentimes, you know, they'll say, uh, you know, it's censored because, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, such is the case for the Matt Walsh uh, documentary on Twitter. You know, they'll censor it because it's harmful or, you know, transphobic or whatever. But at the same, uh, on the other side of that coin is the fact that it's actually very helpful. It's actually enlightening for people who might be questioning or might be going through uh, uh, this reality where people are inundating them with the idea that they have to transition. Uh, so in, at the same, in the same side of the coin where they can say it's harmful, other people can say it's harmful not to show. So yeah. it, it, it's really a non-argument, but they'll play it anyways and they'll call it, you know, their... Their way is right, your way is wrong. It's politics. And how many people do you hear who they wish they would have heard the other side of the story? Um, I'm all about informed consent. And what you have is a sort of paternalization um, where they just... Uh, they, they, they treat people like adults who want to transition even, like children. They conceal evidence from them. You see this in the abortion industry as well. They don't provide them with all the facts. They're not transparent. They're pushing towards something. It has nothing to do with freedom of choice. It has nothing to do with informed consent. It's it's a pushed agenda, and it, it's undeniable, really. And it's it's sad to see it uh, prevailing. Now, again, as we as we saw, whether it be election night coverage, whatever it may be, people are starting to reject this. They're turning away from it. Um, and like I said, people are paying with their, are, are speaking with their dollars. Target, Bud Light, all these companies losing millions, billions of dollars when they when they adopt these radical narratives. Um, let's, if you don't mind, jump to this clip, though. It's good to see uh, the, the conservatives uh, sort of growing a pair and tackling some of these issues head on. Um, I, I get sticking to business and, and trying to get things going, but it's gotten so extreme that we need conservatives who are willing to actually stand up. Um, so let's play the clip of Pierre uh, talking about uh, big tech and censorship. I mean, Justin Trudeau's total incompetence and his attempt to censor the internet uh, are now hurting our media outlets. Uh, now he's created a situation where, where big tech might end up censoring the same way that he does. Uh, I don't believe that uh, either big tech or big government should censor what people see and say online. Conservatives are the only party that will protect Canadians against government and big tech censorship and allow everyone to express themselves freely. Yep, that is, I'm sure there was backlash and people were angry, but that is the most self-evident. That's not a contentious opinion. They're, they're, they're gonna make it one, but that is not a contentious opinion. And don't get me wrong, obviously like illegal content, the government censoring that, uh, abuse material, whatever it may be, Sure, wonderful. But that's not what this is about. Frankly, they'll allow that stuff to go through and then they'll censor things that maybe provide a different perspective or an opinion. They'll brand it as hate speech. Um, it's so it's so prevalent and widespread. Um, you know, what? Let, let, let's jump right into this this video. It isn't just us saying this either. Um, 
there's a Toronto hip hop podcast and they're just roasting Justin Trudeau. He's become a caricature. It's very much a facade. Uh, and he's, he's just made politics silly. It comes, it affects provincial politics with them kicking people out. Um, it's absurd. Let's, let's listen. What's your thoughts on Mr. Trudeau? You're a Trudeau fan or a non-Trudeau fan? I and I, I, listen, it's not, if you Yo, are, listen, I, it's no hate. Listen, you know what I'm saying? Listen, 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 before you come with your spiel, okay, <laughs> bud, all right, bud, I could care less about this place right now. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We don't have a leader. We have puppets. Mm. You are your own leader. Just, you, you have to follow some of the rules. Yeah, I will follow some of it then to turn around and kick your butt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I'm not a Trudeau fan because I never voted in my life, guys. Mm. And that's sad. I'm born here. And that is sad. So Trudeau is not doing his job to me because he ain't never made me feel like he in my household or he's made a difference in my household. So well, I can't have no opinion on if I'm... Thank you for legalizing some marijuana, but in my world, marijuana was already legal. Yeah, that was the one thing that, you know, I guess he got some points for, like nationally legalizing yeah. um, um, cannabis across the whole country. Yeah. But then, like, when the pandemic hit, fam, like, a lot of the stuff that this guy, like, allowed was, and, was like, keeping up with. Yeah, fam, he really, really turned people's stomach, fam. And you know what? When he worked, when he did the black face in college, oh, yeah. <laughs> they never yeah. let that go. Twice. Did, the internet is a dangerous place. Mm -hmm. um, what else? What else? What else? Him being Castro's uh, son. There's just a lot to him, bro. Yeah. And it's all, it's like. <sighs> he bought in Bill C-11. Yeah, he yeah. turned it into, he got it. Well, it's, it's a lot now. I don't want to say nothing where he wants to come now and shut us down. So <laughs> I'm just, watching. <laughs> yeah, I'm just watching what I say, you know. Yo, he was on Brandon Golden as a show. So, you know, he's tapped in a little bit to the culture. Well, you already know why. What? Because he wants to get our votes. He needs our. He needs the approval rating of all of us, fam. I hear you, but you know what I'm saying. And listen, I know, gang. This is not like no hip hop. What listen, fam. This is all hip hop. This is this man. He wants to shut down hip hop. Exactly. Like the fact that Bill C11 is a thing. We yeah. Amen to all that. You know, respect Toronto. That's you know, good, good, good words all all around. That entire spiel was great and it's true because i mean how many years have has trudeau been in office now and and how much better is the country it's not it's not better no. uh and you know you talk about covid right i mean he trudeau's at a point now where he's pissing off you know the toronto hip-hop scene and the hutterites in the bible belt right <laughs> like they were actually hutterites aren't yeah. allowed to protest right and they were so dismayed with the situation that covid brought that they were actually out there demonstrating during the the freedom convoy and stuff it's against the religion. That's how strongly Trudeau is messing up. Uh, so across the board, everybody's saying, you know what, well, look, I, I'm done with Trudeau. Enough scandals, you know, enough not helping people, enough fake smiles, enough blackface. It's uh, it's time for a new leader. And the fact of the matter is it's time for a leader, like that guy says, because Trudeau is no leader. And there was one, you know, correction, I would say, in that commentary was the fact that Trudeau's trying to get all of our votes. No, he isn't. <laughs> Trudeau's not yeah. trying to get all of our votes. Is that why he was criticizing the unvaccinated, basically calling them swine, right? Um, he, he wants the votes that will maintain his position in power. Everybody else, you know, Sayonara. See you later. Mm -hmm. So, Adam, yeah. Adam, what's your take on that?
Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the, the whole, it's what we go, it goes back to what we talked about earlier. The whole like inclusive left, it's it's not there. We've seen it firsthand. Uh, these people who are so lovey-dovey and tolerant, well, they don't allow us into events. They'll say, I know Rachel Notley said, oh, we, we, if we would have won, we would have worked to include everybody. That's not what they do at all. They exclude, exclude, exclude. And it's good to see uh, different communities starting to realize that. When you have, like you said, and you hit the nail on the head uh, there, Hunterites and the Toronto hip-hop scene uh, rallying. Maybe we'll see a feature track or something. Uh, but when you see those communities rallying together in, in opposition, basically we're at the point now where you're looking at Eastern Canadians who will just always vote Trudeau no matter what happens. Uh, even if the dude was caught killing a puppy, that's who's still supporting uh, Justin Trudeau. Um, let's go to one more ad break now. And then we've got a couple stories uh, to hit up after that. And then we'll uh, do uh, some chats if we have any and go from there. Living with spike protein in a post-pandemic world is something we all have to grapple with, whether you've had the virus, you've been vaccinated yourself, or if you're around those who were. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is a daily supplement that can help you feel your best and then stay that way. Go to twccanada.health to get back to that pre-pandemic feeling with Spike Support. Use coupon code REBEL to save 10% off these doctor-formulated products, which are rooted in science. And for a limited time, your first First month's membership is only 99 cents. That's twccanada.health, coupon code REBEL at checkout. It's time to put your wellness back in the driver's seat. Adam, before we get to our next story, what do you make of that advertisement? I, I'm really curious. You know, it's really interesting. I've had the opportunity to speak to uh, quite a few people, um, even in the, whether it be naturopaths or people people with sort of alternative perspectives. Um, I myself had some sort of respiratory issues after that, and there was a long COVID treatment center, and they were doing all this like sort of heavy drug use um, stuff, and it really it was not helping at all. Um, and I actually had the opportunity to go through like a naturopath and try. I'm not going to advise it because I'm not a doctor, but it was interesting. After nothing working. Um, some of these alternative treatments, um, for, and I, I've not tried this product specifically, so I can't speak to it, but I know people who have struggled, 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 and then they try one of these sort of alternative treatments, um, and it really does make a difference for them. So I've seen it help. It's helped me personally. Um, so yeah, some people will sort of brand this as sort of out there or whatever, but then when you talk to people and they try it firsthand, I mean, it affects their life in a very positive way and changes it. And very often these are more natural options than what they would prescribe. Um, some people are taking inhaled steroids forever um, instead of taking a natural alternative. Um, so it's great to see a, a company like this that is, that is, again, strong medical background, um, evidence-based, but willing to tackle some of these issues when the colleges of physicians and so many of these uh, government agencies would would brand the brand it as, as as not real medicine. Well, the fact is is, is it very often works, um, and, and they're not married to an ideology that's being pushed by the government um, that is at times anti scientific. They're able to look at what really works uh, and support and help people because people were adversely affected, uh, and it's great to see that there's an option out there for people to get help. Well, to say the least, I don't think it's the the government's job in any way, shape, or form to be telling citizens how they must treat themselves. Uh, and I think that's obviously been a point of contention over the last few years. Uh, mm -hmm. So it is nice to see that there are alternatives and there are people who are able to sustain alternatives to what the government is touting in the pharmaceutical front, uh, especially yeah. considering some of the heavy players in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, in a sense, I should say, 
Uh, our next article, uh, it, it's uh, some Ottawa parents uh, uh, in Ottawa were dealing with some pride activities or had a, a point of contest with regards to some pride activities. Uh, and I'll read the headline for you. Some Ottawa parents keep kids home from school due to pride activities, OCDSB says. Um, and uh, I, I think that's very interesting. And I know there have been cases, uh, uh, not necessarily in a school, but in a, uh, a small town or a couple small towns, I think, in Ontario, where the, the municipal uh, bodies had decided that they weren't going to wave uh, or have the pride flags uh, or any yeah. non-government uh, uh, flags waved on government property. Uh, so I, I don't know. Do you think something like that is called for in this situation? Yeah, you know, I know the York uh, Catholic School Board voted against this and Kathleen Wynne, former premier, um, was saying, oh, this is like callous and brutal and stuff. I tweeted and said, listen, you, you don't get to talk about my faith. Um, like It's so ignorant and bigoted. That is not what I believe. Uh, it's not what Catholics believe. If you want to believe it, it's fine. Not putting up a rainbow flag or a pride flag or whatever other type of flag they want. If it's not in line with my beliefs, it's fine. If you try to force me to or pressure me to, you're a bigot. Because I have my Catholic faith. I don't say you cannot put a flag up on your property. If there's a camp or a school that prioritizes that and they want to do that, good for them. I don't think it should be on government buildings, obviously, because you don't see, I don't demand that they fly a Vatican flag um, for my faith. So I think that it should just be a government flags, um, not ideological flags. Um, now, if there's uh, some, some places they have a flag where they'll do like, uh, cancer awareness things, and they've got a special flag for that. If they want to occasionally fly a flag on one of those poles, you know what? So be it. Good for them. But the idea of of bigoting, uh, of bigotedly pressuring a school, yeah, there's the tweet. You can see it for yourself. Um, and saying you're like a monster if you don't bow, bend the knee and, and bow and kowtow to all of this. Well, listen, th those rights, the right to believe and, and have a faith and adhere to those values, they're long enshrined in our charter. Um, this is this is Catholics, Christians, whatever it may be, adhering to and and upholding their faith. Um, the 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 whole LGBTQSA, whatever they want to call it. I know there's a two missing in there somewhere. Um, they want to be so monolithic, and I don't care who you like or what your background is. I'll have a beer with you just the same. I I'm not angry at anybody, but don't come and say I have to fly a flag on my house to support something that you believe in that I don't necessarily believe in. That's wrong. And that's not how society, uh, that's not how society is agreeable. It's, it's basically like the inversion of the Spanish Inquisition. Instead of being criticized and tortured and maligned for not being Christian enough, let's say, you're not espousing the exact values that your uh, that your king or lord at any particular moment is espousing. Um, now it's if you don't if you don't adhere to the LGBTQ narrative, even some of the radical elements, even if you ask questions, even if you're concerned about child mutilation, well, any of those things, you're you're then subject to the LGBTQ inquisition, and you're going to be targeted and attacked. Um, for too long, Christians, Catholics, um, other groups, and it tends to be Christians and Catholics. You don't see them very often going uh, going off on folks uh, of, of different faiths. It tends to be Christians who are targeted. Um, but to see them standing up and saying, no, enough is enough. We're going to adhere to our, our principles. It's great. I hope it starts a trend. Um, 
we've seen with with some politicians, Pierre Polyev, Scott Moe, uh, Daniel Smith, um, and now some of these schools, um, even a, a, a bishop in the United States with the whole Our Ladies of Perpetual Depravity or whatever it was, there's a there's like a drag outfit that mocks uh, Catholic religious orders. Uh, the bishop is like, this is blasphemous. We have to take those strong stances and say, listen, you want respect, you have to you have to give it out. You can't just demand it. You have to dish it out as well. Well, Adam, maybe you can uh, champion this. And I saw uh, uh, on Twitter recently, someone had made mention of this as well, where uh, what, what is the original, uh, I guess you call it the, the Abrahamic meaning behind the rainbow. And I think now uh, there have been so many transitions uh, mm -hmm. uh, to the new pride flag and the newer pride flag and the more inclusive pride flag uh, that it's, yeah. it's, it is actually quite separated now from the original pride flag that was used. So yeah. maybe, maybe it's time to capitalize on that, get that old original pride flag and just remind people about the original meaning of the rainbow. Yeah, I know people have been sharing that, and it's a commitment after the flood that there would not be another flood again. Um, it's really interesting when when you actually do some research on the origins of the Pride logo. There's sort of the rainbow yellow brick road musical connection. That's often what is cited um, as as the origin of that logo as part of the Pride community. Obviously, the array of colors, a diverse community, all that sort of stuff. Um, but pretty early on, you can also see that there's that some of the folks involved in that. Um, well, they were referring to that intentionally. They were. Uh, sort of trying to flip that and saying, listen, you you said there's not going to be another flood, we can do whatever we want. So I, there's, I've seen two sort of origin stories on that. I think there's probably an element of truth to a little bit of both of those. But I, there are people reclaiming uh, the flag, reclaiming the, the or reclaiming the rainbow, rather. Um, but it, it's so wild just to see an entire month allocated to this, a whole month with the rainbow absolutely everywhere. If you don't fly it, the corporate logos all switching over. Uh, it, it's wild to see it is the biggest like zeitgeist spirit of the age thing and it's utterly without substance all these organizations on their chinese and saudi websites don't do it they just do it where it's trendy and popular and where where the people won't sort of push back or reject it so yeah it's something else uh something well, else did you want to get to our last two yeah i'll just Go jump ahead. to the next one i just wanted to say yeah. uh it is kind of funny in a sense that you know around the world if you were to lay someone's flag on the ground and step on it that would be considered you know a provocation you would be stepping on it against the person whose flag that was and here we paint our roads and sidewalks with the pride flag uh, and we walk all over it so it's kind of ironic you know maybe they're trying to take a stance toward pride and you know advocacy in that front uh, whereas at the same time they're also desecrating their own movement so and you, it's you kind of the cycle you would expect on that note it's wild like we've seen dozens of churches vandalized and burnt down and no one seems to care uh and then you see a burnout, someone does a burnout on like a crosswalk and it's national news and Justin Trudeau basically visits like it's it's wild, the 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 standards. Um, it's it's like the old like ask who you can't criticize if you want to know who's truly in control. Well, who are we not allowed to criticize? Yeah, it's wild. Let's get to these two last uh, video clips and then we'll call it. I know we're a bit over time here, folks. Um, so, yeah, we can run that uh, Leslin, Dr. Leslin Lewis uh, video. And just as we're, we're pulling, pulling it up, it's on the carbon tax. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the liberals planning another carbon tax hike. Now, they, this brings the carbon tax up to like 61 cents a liter on fuel, even though we've not seen a reduction in temperature and there's been no sort of positive emissions reduction from the first one. Well, this time it's going to be different. Go ahead. Mr. Speaker, many families, especially those who live in rural communities, have to drive out of necessity. They drive to school, 
to work, to medical appointments, to social activities. Families are already struggling with higher cost of living expenses. Now this Liberal government wants to add two more carbon taxes on financially stressed Canadians. The Liberal carbon tax one will add 41 cents a litre on gas. How painful does life have to get before this Prime Minister will finally cancel the carbon tax? The Honourable Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of the Environment. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. And the Conservatives never want to talk about the costs of climate change. The Parliamentary Budget Officer uh, reported that there was a $20 billion impact to the Canadian economy in 2021, uh, Mr. Speaker. 600 fires are burning from coast to coast to coast, Mr. That? Speaker. They're devastating our communities. They're threatening lives and livelihoods. When are the Conservatives going to get serious about climate change and stop the denial, Mr. Speaker? The Honourable Member for Haldeman Norfolk. Mr. Speaker, I'll tell you about the cost of, of this carbon tax. It costs lower-income Canadians the most. It is an unfair tax. Carbon tax, too, comes at a time when many Canadians are struggling just to feed themselves. Now, every time a Canadian fills up their car, they will be paying an additional tax on the GST and the HST. This Prime Minister is literally putting a carbon tax on a tax. When will this Prime Minister take his boot off the neck of Canadians and finally cancel carbon tax one and two? The Honourable Parliamentary Secretary. Mr. Speaker, and the Conservatives have no credibility when it comes to affordability, Mr. Speaker. Every time we put an affordability measure on the table, dental, rental, the Canada Child Benefit, what do they do? They vote against it. And the climate rebate, Mr. Speaker, is an affordability measure. It's going to help families be better off. But you know what's not going to leave families better off, Mr. Speaker? It's investing in cryptocurrency, Mr. Speaker. And Mr. Speaker, the, the Leader of the Opposition hasn't walked back his comments. He hasn't apologized, Mr. Speaker. And that's because he has no plan for the environment, no plan for the economy, and certainly no plan for affordability. I, I think if you actually believe that, like, that not doing a, car a carbon tax does not help the environment in any way, shape, or form. It's a wealth redistribution scheme where the government ends up pocketing more money and they give it to their friends. It does not help the environment. It's it's literally insane tinfoil nonsense, and I don't know how that guy says it with a straight face. He cannot believe it that it costs twenty billion dollars a year, and it would if we weren't implementing this carbon tax. Furthermore, it is insane to blame a un sort of chartable temperature increase, like not chartable, for the fires that happen and have been happening in summers forever. This is it's wild to see that you, you're you're picking a time where there happens to be a little bit more fires than usual to to score political points. I just think that's so repugnant, and people are suffering, people are struggling. This is the opposite of leadership, and it's it's dead on there. The boot on the neck. They really don't care about your average Joes. They don't care about people. They just care about pushing their narratives. Help the environment. Do good things for the environment. A carbon tax doesn't do it at, at all. Period. Yeah, but Adam, if you disagree with me, we're going to lose $50 billion. Yeah, How could true. you disagree with that? You know, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's, that's what he said. That's all he said at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and you talk about the wildfires. Like, there's actual uh, plant life and trees that need the heat of wildfires in order to seed, to produce their ancestral, you know, lineage in, their, in the plant sense. Uh, if you have zero wildfires whatsoever, then you're going to have certain trees and certain plants that go extinct. 
And and not only that, but control burns are actually a large, like a, a very common practice. And that, you know, in, in Banff, we saw one incident where there was some kind of, you know, a, a gender focused training session where they had a bunch of, you know, diversity protocols and that wildfire in Banff was started because they were trying to do control fires. Uh, but mm-hmm. control fires are generally a common practice every year that has to be done to mitigate yeah. the effects of larger wildfires or wildfires that are going to hit certain areas. Uh, and to say, you know, oh, wildfire bad, oh, hail bad, right? It, oh, there's going to be a hurricane. Oh, every single day the weather changes. And every single yeah. day, so long as it changes, they're going to say that the change is bad. Um, and, and it's it's a, a, a cycle for them that they can just feed off of forever because when it's too hot, they can, you know, say it's global warming. When it's too cold, they can say it's global warming. I mean, maybe they have to, you know, do those 20 years apart so people don't catch on too quick. But at the yeah. end of the day, they just keep rinsing and recycling the same arguments. 10 years to save, 20 years, 2030, 2055. It's been like that since the 80s. It was George New York Washington is still Sr. George Washington Sr. prompted this whole global warming terminology, and they've just been cycling it as a key election thing. And it's it's because for most people, so much of this is just superficial language. Yes, help the environment. The money helps the environment. People are like, good, good. I'm willing to help the environment. Uh, the, the critical thought is no longer there. So we do our best to elucidate people. Um, I really quickly do want to touch on, and this is just a, a, another symptom of the entitlement. Uh, Trudeau and the, and the Liberal government do not work for the people. Um, it's clear the people do not want more taxes, but they just insist on it. They're all ideologically driven. Um, and then... This next story, and we're going to, it's Andrew Shear, this video. Um, Justin Trudeau's hand-picked rapporteur says that he works for the government, not parliament and not for Canadians. Well, sorry to break it to you, but, and I know, I know this isn't the case under Justin Trudeau, but the government is supposed to work for the people. And when you're hired by the government to investigate something, you, by extension, are working for the people. Let's jump to this clip of Andrew Shear. Mr. Speaker, in response to yesterday's vote where MPs representing a clear majority of Canadians voted for him to step aside, Rapporteur David Johnson said he isn't going anywhere. In fact, he said he doesn't work for Parliament or Canadians. He said he works for the government. That's the problem, Mr. Speaker. He works for the same Liberal government that benefited from Beijing's election interference. And he personally serves the Prime Minister who chose to do nothing while Chinese Canadians were bullied into voting for his Liberal Party. Nobody is fooled by this sham of a process. So when will the Prime Minister fire his ski buddy and call a public inquiry? The Honourable Member for, or Minister for Emergency Preparedness. I'm reminded once again that it's not only unfair but deeply offensive. To, to, to listen to the member opposite question Mr. Johnson's allegiance to this country. His 50-year career in public service has made it crystal clear to everyone that his loyalty is to Canada. And Mr. Speaker, as I also said, and as I quote former Prime Minister Harper, Mr. Johnson represents hard work, dedication, public service, and humility. Mr. Speaker, Canada is blessed to have a man so dedicated to public service, persevering through this effort. Member for Regina Capel. Canada is cursed by a Prime Minister who tarnished that man's yeah. reputation by involving him in the scandal. The Prime Minister can't be the one to decide how to investigate this scandal because he benefited from it. And David Johnson can't decide either because he's a family friend and a longtime member of the Trudeau Foundation. Yeah. And Frank Iacobucci can't be the one to sign off on David Johnson's role because he's part of the Trudeau Foundation as well. Conflict of interest, conflict of interest, conflict of interest. Why is it that whenever the best interests of Canadians conflict with the political interests of the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister always chooses himself. Yeah. Yeah. 
Honourable Member, Minister for Emergency Preparedness. Mr. Speaker, protecting Canada from nefarious hostile activities of foreign state actors like China is a priority for our government. We have taken significant action to protect the integrity of Canadian institutions and in particular our democracy. We recognize that there is more work to do and we all have a responsibility to stand up and protect our democracy. I would invite all members to cease their attacks on some of the finest Canadians I know and to unite in this important work. No criticism of Trudeau. Yeah, I, I am hopeful because you see conservatives are starting to actually be like, this is ridiculous. Um, for the longest time, conservatives were trying not to lose elections. We did see, uh, we see a little bit of that throughout campaigns, obviously, because the media is so hostile and attacky. But the, the strongest moments for Andrew Scheer, for Pierre Polyev, for Danielle Smith, for Scott Moe, when, when Scott Moe had that line about like, if this is what you're going to do, lock me up, like come, come lock me up. Conservatives who are brash and willing to push back and willing to speak their heart and not just play politics, not just be on the back pedal perpetually, it's incredible to see. And it, it's it's that that's going to win people's hearts over, I hope. Um, the, the willingness to, to speak from the heart, to be blunt, to be direct, uh, and to call out the absurd status of po politics within this country right now. Yeah. Well, and again, I would you know recommend anybody to listen through to those uh, those question and answer periods. It's it really is laughable, especially when you get Trudeau in there. And we saw you know yesterday there was the clip with Pierre uh, uh, questioning Trudeau's uh, previous time as a teacher, and it it is really at the end of the day a laughing house, um, regardless of you know, what side of the aisle we're looking at. Yes, the Conservatives right now, they're taking a very strong stance, but they're taking a strong stance as the opposition to the government in a sense. Uh, right now, Trudeau's in power, the Liberals are in power, and there, how many years now do we have of dirt that's been coming up under the rug and being created by this government? There's so much ammunition at this point that if they weren't asking tough questions every single day, I'd be, I'd be very disappointed. Uh, and we're kind of at that point now where we need somebody. It's, you know, time's come for somebody to go every single day of Justin Trudeau's time in office and note every single thing he's done. It's time mm -hmm. because we're not going to, Trudeau's not going to be the next premier or pardon me, prime minister of this country. And that's not going to happen. It, it, I, I think that's a, a very tough sell for anybody considering whether it be uh, uh, the situation happening now with regards to China's interference, whether it be his handling of the coronavirus, whether it be his seizing or attempts uh, to reduce the amount of firearms, legally obtained firearms that are on the market, or whether it's him trying to give drugs to children and trying to mutilate them at the same time. I mean, his time is over. There, he, there, he's pissed off enough people at this point. So now's the time we need a real banger of a documentary. Just hit every single point that Justin Trudeau's faulted on and let everybody know because people have forgotten. Yeah, and I, I like your optimism. I hope that's the case, but I don't know, man. I, I, it's at the point where I think the guy could kill a puppy on video. I've said it before, but I think he might be able to do that and still get elected. It's wild to see. The next federal election will certainly be interesting. Uh, we're a bit over time here. I want to thank everyone for their patience, for sticking with us. Um, any final thoughts, Sid? Well, let's, uh, let's place bets and see who wins. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in.